It's Good Canada, I'm Peyton Smith, and this is The Stew. With Canada's food system continuing to grow and innovate, understanding what information is credible, who to trust, and how to feed ourselves and our families can be incredibly confusing. That's why I'm here, to share relevant information on food topics you care about most with the help of experts. Today, we have with us a guest that leads the public and stakeholder engagement team, which works to increase public trust in the Canadian beef industry by supporting industry synergies, forming strategic partnerships, and connecting positively with consumers and the public. This includes addressing industry issues by coordinating key messages and specific responses together with provincial and industry organizations. Promotional content and campaigns are also developed that highlight the benefits of beef production in Canada. So let's dive in. If you could please introduce yourself, where you're talking to us from, and then share your pronouns. Awesome. My name is Amy Peck, and I manage a national checkoff program called Public and Stakeholder Engagement with the Canadian Cattle Association. Uh, We're located in Calgary, Alberta, and my pronouns are she slash her. Amazing. I mean, before we started talking, Amy, we were chatting about the weather. Please share with the audience how cold it is, just for some context. It is shockingly cold outside. <laughs> um, we were saying whether we could you know, be used to it or not. We should be, but it was somewhere in the range of minus 41 to minus 43 with the wind chill here this morning. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, Christmassy, I guess. <laughs> That's one word. That's incredibly chilly. Um, so thanks, Amy. We're so glad that you could be on today. And I, I reached out to you to explore the topic of livestock and emissions because there's so much conflicting information out there. And I kind of wanted to get to the bottom of the science part of it. I do have an animal science background myself. I feel like I should have more of an understanding about what we're talking about today, but I simply don't. So that's why we tapped you and the expert. Um, To start off strong, I wanted to start with the basics. So can you explain what it means when we even read the word greenhouse gas emissions or GHGs and then methane and how all these terms kind of relate to one another? Just give us the details. Sure. So um, I'll start with a preface of that I am a communications expert (laughs) who, through my role with the uh, beef industry, have learned about greenhouse gas emissions and the impact of cattle on the environment. So it is specific to beef cattle. Mm -hmm. And then everything that I've learned has come from research and scientific experts who spend day in and day out on this. So um, greenhouse gas emissions are those that contribute to climate change. Um, And so when we think of them, the most common, of course, is carbon dioxide, of which fossil fuels would be a primary contributor. Um, Then there's methane and nitrous oxide and some smaller gases. But for these, those three, those are the ones that we we hear about the most often and are the main contributors. Um, In terms of the Canadian beef industry, uh, the majority of our greenhouse gas emissions are methane. And so uh, methane is very interesting because it behaves differently depending on the source. So in Canada, there's three main sources of methane. The first are fossil fuels. So you'll see... um, orphan wells that leak, they're leaking methane. So that is the largest source in Canada. Um, 
And then there is methane from landfills is actually the second largest source in Mm. Canada. Yeah. If you think of food decomposing, that's releasing Mm -hmm. methane into the atmosphere. And then the third largest contributor of methane is ruminant animals. And so the reason ruminant animals release methane is a byproduct of their digestion. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the difference is that methane from fossil fuels is um, brand new to the atmosphere. So it's going up into the atmosphere from uh, deep in the ground where those carbon stores were. Biogenic methane, which is the methane from ruminant animals like cattle, it's actually part of a cycle. So Uh, The carbon molecule is in the plant, Uh, cow comes along and consumes the plant, and then they actually belch out that methane. That's the majority of methane coming from cows. It's not farts as much as everybody (laughs) would like to think it is. 95% is coming out of the front end. Okay. That uh, carbon molecule goes up into the atmosphere, and it stays there for about 10 to 12 years. So it's a really short-lived gas. Then it comes back down, same carbon uh, molecule, absorbed by plants again, and then eaten by a ruminant animal. So that same carbon molecule just keeps cycling through, and it's ancient carbon that's been doing that since the bison uh, were on the prairies. Um, And this is different from carbon dioxide, Mm -hmm. like in fossil fuels, which gets... uh, out into the atmosphere, and it stays there for a thousand years or more. So that's why we're seeing the difference between short-lived greenhouse gases and long-lived greenhouse gases. So all of that made perfect sense, but for our audience, can you give us examples, and I'm assuming cattle obviously are ruminant, but what does ruminant mean? Use that word a couple times. Can you explain? Yeah. So um, ruminant animals are those that have uh, multiple sections in their stomach. So many people have heard about, you know, cows having four stomachs. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a bunch of animals that have that same digestion system. And so it's sheep, it's deer, it Mm. is cattle, it's bison, anything that really consumes grasses as their primary food source needs to have that rumination potential um, to consume what we call fibrous material. So the reasons why humans can't live off of grasses is because of our simple uh, one stomach digestion system. So that's the difference. Our stomach's boring. That's not interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's made for Doritos more so than grass. Excellent. I'm okay with that, too. (laughs) Me, too. Um, So how much methane? We see articles online. We see graphs. We see lots of different infographics. How much methane or greenhouse gas emissions do cattle actually contribute? Like, where do they fit into this whole cycle? Great question. So, um, I mean, there is a a large majority of methane coming from livestock animals, uh, Mm -hmm. primarily cattle. Um, But overall, methane is a small amount of Canada's greenhouse gas emissions. So overall, 2.4% of our emissions come from the production of beef, and 65% of that would be methane. Got it. Less than 2% of Canada's emissions are methane from cattle, and remembering that that's part of that biogenic cycle. Yeah. The whole cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So 
why are people changing their diets to include more plant-based content? Should I be doing this? Should all Canadians, when we go to the grocery store, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I I would love to point out firstly that we are so privileged in Canada to be able to choose, to be able Absolutely. to choose from a wide variety of very healthy and nutritious food sources. And that is not afforded to everyone around the world. So yeah. we are privileged. And I would never tell anybody what they should eat. That's a very personal decision. Uh, I hope everybody's making the best choices for themselves. But we've seen it suggested that a, a plant-based diet or, or eating less meat is better for the environment than mm-hmm. eating animal source foods. And I, you know, would say that really matters on where you live and where okay. that food was produced. So uh, a lot of times we see plant-based foods, um, the claim that they're less land intensive or that there's less emissions that come mm-hmm. from those foods. And I'd love to unpack that a little bit because actually I think the reduction of eating beef in Canada could cause more emissions than it would save. And so what I mean by that is in Canada, we have one of the most endangered ecosystems in the entire world that most people have no idea you know, I call them the coral reefs of Canada, and that's our native grasslands. Um, less than 24% yeah. remain intact in Canada, part of those Great Plains that stretch into the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes people think of those as areas where there are no trees and not like a distinct ecosystem to themselves, but they Absolutely. are. Um, and so Nature Canada... Uh, did a study in 2021, and they looked at the best natural climate solutions for Canada. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And their number one opportunity, the best opportunity for Canada, is preserving our native grasslands. Okay. And the reason for this is that they are humongous carbon storage tanks. So... Mm. Because the plants that live on native prairies have super long root systems, they're taking carbon down into the soil and they're they're holding it there long term. So uh, they present a humongous opportunity for Canada in in holding that carbon in the soil and not releasing it into the atmosphere. <clears throat> and so, Amy, what does this have to do with beef cattle? I know. Get to the no, point. No, no, you're getting there. I'll get <laughs> so the the point is that. Native grasslands, what's left is primarily cared for by the families that raise beef cattle. Okay. All of the native grasslands, pretty much, that could have been converted to growing plants have been. Because especially at this point in time, you can make a lot more money growing some crops than you can raising beef cattle. But it's actually a a really symbiotic uh land use to have, you know, these uh, grasslands, as the name uh, implies, you know, evolved with grazing. So originally bison um, Mm -hmm. and now beef cattle are really mimicking that role that the bison played. So if we reduce our beef consumption in Canada and it's no longer economically feasible to have beef mm-hmm. cattle on those grasslands, they will continue to be converted to growing crops. And when that happens, 
30 to 50 percent of that soil carbon gets released. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, if you think of there's um, about 35 million acres of native grasslands with beef cattle uh, Mm -hmm. on them. And so if we see that reduction, those are huge amounts of carbon that could potentially be released into the atmosphere more so than you would save of that 2.4% of emissions. So it's an interesting way to look at it that actually the the beef cattle are helping to uh, keep carbon in the soil, um, you know, something that I, I really don't think that we hear enough about. Absolutely. Yeah, which actually kind of leads me into my next question. So, you kind of said uh, preserving grasslands is an extremely important part of uh, keeping that carbon cycle where it should be. But is the agriculture system doing anything to combat any negative effects of cattle production? Yeah, great question. So um, I I never want anyone to get the impression that uh, we don't think that the beef community has a role to play in reducing uh, climate emissions. Um, We absolutely do. Uh, Everyone has a role to play. Everyone has to reduce their emissions. And that's the way that we are hopefully going to continue to have a sustainable planet. Um, So uh, we have set a goal in the Canadian beef industry, and that's to further reduce our emissions intensity, uh, 33%. By 2030. So that keeps us on par with the global methane pledge that Canada Mm -hmm. signed on to, keeping us consistent with other countries. Um, And so we've already seen our emissions fall 17%. Uh, yeah, up from 1981 to 2011, they already fell 17%. So now we've set this really ambitious goal. Um, so we're we're trying to push ourselves. We want to be part of the solution. You know, mm-hmm. we are partners in uh, climate change mitigation and the farmers and ranchers that raise beef cattle make their living on the land, you know, and so they're really the ones that are impacted by climate change, I would say, more profoundly because they derive their income directly from the land and need it to be able to keep growing grass, right? Keep storing carbon, uh, have some rain. So yeah, absolutely. Can you comment on what specific things maybe you're asking of farmers or the industry, um, how you're making that goal happen? Yeah. So I think a lot of people have probably heard some of the stories about seaweed being fed to cattle and its ability to reduce methane emissions. And so there are sort of innovative uh, feed technologies that are coming out that are able to um, reduce methane. There's some uh, less exciting developments, I would say, for the average person in that uh, a lot of it is coming down to genetics and efficiencies. So Mm -hmm. we even have the ability right now to uh, look at uh, and measure the different methane emissions coming from cattle Mm -hmm. and then select the lower emitting animals to breed from so that you're actually getting a line uh, that you know they have less methane than the average beef cow. So, I mean, that's not 
that's not something you'll see on billboards or TV yeah, yeah. ads about, you know, <laughs> but it's an important part. And the efficiencies are just, uh, you know, getting good weight on calves, getting good hay yields so that you have mm-hmm. really good feed conversions. These are all things that are super important to us in the industry and really make a difference to your emissions intensity, but are potentially not the most interesting or exciting for the average person. Yeah. Not headline worthy, but super important nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. I have to, we have to go back. Tell me about the seaweed. What can it do? Is it like the seaweed in my California roll? Like, tell me about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I am by no means an expert in uh, the modalities of seaweed and ruminant digestion. Um, But there is some component in seaweed that helps to reduce the amount of methane emitted by the cow. Um, So the hard part, of course, is that if we think of where the majority of beef cattle are in Canada, Alberta, it's Saskatchewan, you know, Mm -hmm. these are landlocked provinces. There's not a lot of ability to grow seaweed nearby. Mm -hmm. So even if you can source um, the seaweed, then you're shipping it, right? And then you're needing to purchase it. So now you're putting an additional cost on those farmers and ranchers, Mm -hmm. plus CO2 emissions to get it there. So you've got to make sure that it's worth the reduction. Mm -hmm. And so um, the other part is just ensuring that the seaweed doesn't uh, change the taste of the beef, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and that it doesn't cause any, any you know, issues uh, further down the line because that's the thing. You know, there's really no silver bullet for any of these. Mm-hmm. There's always trade-offs, right? There's always pros and cons to everything that we're going to add in. So ensuring that some of these, um, what seem to be silver bullet solutions on the outside, you know, that they're worth the transportation costs, that they're worth the cost to the producer to get us to the goal of that methane, you know, emissions intensity reduction. Yeah. It it actually reminds me when, you know, we just had a Christmas party this weekend and you're chatting with friends and about, and they love the fact that I work in food and agriculture. So they ask me questions all the time and stuff. Right. And again, not that either of us are perpetuating what somebody should be eating, but I questioned them, you know, at those beyond beef products or what have you in the grocery stores that may or may not be the right choice for you. But if you're thinking from an environmental standpoint, I always think about the transportation um, and the carbon emissions that are released through that transportation, which is the same as the seaweed component that you guys, that you just brought up. So you have to look at the whole picture of everything about what you're choosing and also what's important to you about what you're putting in your bodies, of course. If it seems too simple. If the answer <laughs> seems to be so simple, just eat this. I can yeah. promise you it's not that there are trade-offs along the line. Um, a- an interesting statistic that I actually just learned last week Do tell. was, I know, always learning, is on wildlife habitat. And so um, I knew we have a, a life cycle assessment for the Canadian beef industry. Mm-hmm. And the majority of wildlife habitat on food producing land mm-hmm. is on beef farms and ranches. So it's actually 68% of the wildlife habitat mm. is where beef cattle are raised. And so then I looked at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, and they have this um, habitat indicator on food producing lands. And only 3% of the wildlife in Canada can accomplish all of their feeding and breeding activities 
on cropland. That's crazy. Right? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, we need crops. We absolutely need crops to feed people. Um, They're a very important part of our food system. But if you think, oh, more crops, more plants are the answer, well, there's a a cost to that. There's a side effect, and that's actually wildlife habitat. So, you know, somebody who's uh, really passionate about the environment and sustainability believes that they're doing the right thing because that's mm-hmm. what they've heard. It's just, you know, swap this in and, and you're doing everything you can. But yeah. it, it's always more complicated than that. I would say it's hard to look at that big picture. You know, people are busy. So you want Absolutely. That, that simple, easy solution. So you can, yeah, check mark. I'm feeling good about myself today and, and doing what I can. So I would just say, you know, if you if you like to eat beef, I would say you can feel good about eating Canadian beef. There are measurable and significant environmental benefits that are provided by having beef cattle um, in Canada. Yeah, it definitely, you need to look at the whole picture of everything you're putting in and know that there's a balance no matter what you choose to do. Yes, absolutely. Um, So I wanted to chat about labels and I see stuff all the time on packaging of beef, um, specifically grass-fed is a term that comes up a lot. I want to chat, is it something that we should be looking for? What is it? Tell us all about it. Absolutely. So grass-fed is a bit of a confusing term because- All beef cattle eat grass. And so the the actual statistic is that throughout the lifetime of a beef animal, 80% of what they eat is grass, no matter okay. how they are finished. So mm-hmm. the vast majority of their life, they're out there on pastures and native grasslands eating grass. Um, so that's what we call when they when they eat nothing but grass, we call them grass finished. But you'll often okay. see it marketed mm-hmm. as grass fed. So that's where it can be really confusing. And uh, the other, of course, is grain finished. So for about the uh, last 100 days of feeding, uh, those animals are moved into generally a feedlot and they'll be on this progressively ramped up diet of uh, grains and minerals. And um, it's, a, it's a balanced ration for them, but it gives them that marbled uh, meat. So the right amount of fat in there, if you think about that beautiful marbled steak that everybody loves. Absolutely. Right. You can get marbling in grass finished animals as well, mm-hmm. but the classic is green finished. And so in Canada, over 90% of the beef that we produce is grain finished. So the vast majority is uh is grain finished. And then there's less than 10% is grass finished or what you might see labeled as grass fed. So it's a niche product. Mm -hmm. Both have uh, very similar tastes. They're very similar nutritional um, uh, benefits. And they're, they're both great quality products that are good for the environment. But grass finished takes longer Mm-hmm. Um, and so those costs need to go somewhere, and it's generally a more premium, expensive product. But for consumers that um, like uh, grass-finished beef, they can find it. But what I would say is that the, on the grain-finished side, where where most of our beef is coming from, it is the most price-accessible product and where the majority of Canadians hopefully that that product is still accessible to them, 
you know, in these, especially in these times of crazy inflation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. A common thing that I will say to people when chatting about the food system is if you buy your vegetables frozen from a bag, if you buy them organic, if you get them from the clearance section in the grocery store and eat them that day, eat the vegetables. If you can't afford or choose not to, for that matter, and let's say an organic label on something, that's totally Mm -hmm. fine. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't eat your vegetables. You should just get them in however way that you possibly can at the grocery store. So kind of same thing with beef. Absolutely. Yeah. If you if there's something that's really important to you on a label yes. and you're willing to pay more for it, then that product exists. Exactly. But I would say what we would think of as your run-of-the-mill Canadian beef <laughs> is still absolutely providing uh, environmental benefits and it's delicious and it's good for you. Amazing. So one final question that I plan on asking every guest on the stew, and it can be related to our conversation today, but it doesn't have to be. If you could have the ears of every single Canadian, what do you wish that they knew about the Canadian food system? This is such a good question, and it's so hard to come up with one answer. (laughs) Um, But I wish that Canadians knew that the farmers and ranchers that raise and grow our food are incredibly committed to environmental sustainability Mm -hmm. and producing safe and delicious food for Canadians. Amazing. I mean, let's be honest, it's in their best interest to also be interested, right? So... I mean, that's the thing. These are tremendous people mm-hmm. <laughs> that day in and day out are at the mercy of whether it will rain or not. And they continue to say, yes, I will grow food for Canadians. Um, so I, I just want to always call out what a tremendous job they're doing. Absolutely. So thank you so much for your time, Amy. Hopefully our listeners have a better understanding of livestock and emissions, and then they can share this message with their friends. So I just want to say have a great day, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I hope that was as informative as it was for me. Um, I think Amy did a great job explaining that the farmers are really interested in helping the environment and being sustainable. And I think that's something that we all Canadians should understand that they're not perfect. They're not saying they're perfect. They're striving for progress. And I think it's incredible that they set these goals with measurable metrics that can be um, accounted for and measured in the future. Um, So it was great for Amy to share that information with us. Be sure to subscribe to The Stew so that you get all of the updated episodes and stay up to date with everything Canadian agriculture.